shall sound and time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the Savior works together over on the other shore. And the roll is called up yonder, I'll be You'll be there tonight. Give us a big Baptist. Amen. James, come open us up in prayer tonight. If you would, son, make your way up here while James is coming. Let me give you a couple of uh, additional prayer requests. Again, praying for the Ratliff family. They've shared, told me that I could share this. Uh, they uh, disconnected Brother Curtis from life support today at noon. Uh, he is uh, still breathing. Uh, so just pray for the family as they're standing there bedside by him. And then uh, we got a call this afternoon as well that Sister Viney Foley had a brother this morning that went home to be with the Lord. We'll provide you those arrangements as soon as they're made available to us. Son, come open us up in prayer. Let's go to the throne room of grace together this morning. Uh, this evening, uh, James, you lead us tonight, if you would, son. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the privilege we have to be in this building. Yeah. Lord, thank you for this day that you've set aside for us to come and have the privilege to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, first and foremost, we thank you for making yourself known to us, Father, through your word. Father, it's a glorious thing when we stop and think about the fact that we have the privilege to get to know, love, and worship you, the true God. Yeah. Father, we thank you for sending your son to die for us. Father, we thank you for the redemption that he has purchased for us. Father, we thank you for the spirit that you have sent, Father, to indwell our hearts and, uh, and together, Lord, as we meet yeah. here. Father, we thank you for the joy that you've given us in knowing your son. Yeah, Father, tonight we pray now, first of all, that we would express that joy to you in praise and songs uh, in preaching and in prayer. Father, we pray most of all that tonight that our hearts and our minds would be turned towards you. Father, we pray for the preaching of the word. Lord, may you give us ears to hear and may we listen diligently to your word and then be doers of the word and not hearers only. Father, most importantly, we pray that if someone here tonight has never turned to your son in repentance and faith, Father, we pray, God, that you would draw them to yourself, that we may rejoice with them. Father, it's through your son that we have confidence and it's through your son that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated tonight, folks. Let me go through some announcements with you uh, and some reminders. Again, thank you so much to those who have signed up to bring meals for our college students that are from Cornerstone Baptist. Uh, uh, services uh, are, are, are the uh, uh, classes be, are on Monday nights. No class tomorrow night, but we've got the sign-up sheet here. If you have not already signed up and can help us with that, we'd sure appreciate it. Choir practice next week, 445. Uh, you come on and join us if you're not a member of the choir and you're an active participant and a member of the church. We'd sure love to have you. And then don't forget, out of our Grace Network items are there as well. Uh, and uh, if you, I appreciate so much those that help us out with that and then our 2018 highlighted calendar of events uh, I'll put in parentheses that uh, uh, some of these may change uh, uh, we're looking at a couple of other dates on a couple of things but we'll keep you posted on that uh, and if you uh, are want to receive updates on our call system and I haven't mentioned this in a little while if you want to receive updates on our call system uh, you give me your name and, and we'll take care of that gentlemen come make your way down tonight if you would please uh, Lydia you come on this evening 
Gentlemen, come make your way down tonight. You be obedient unto the Lord with his tithes and your offerings. Uh, and God will bless you for that. We're going to pray together. And uh, my family is going to sing for you tonight. And I hope this will be a blessing. We don't do this often, but we enjoy it when we get to do it. Lord, bless the offering tonight. May it be what you'd have it to be. Uh, Lord, we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen.
All right, two places in your Bibles tonight, please, this evening. Two places. Turn with me, first of all, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter number 1. And then flip back a few pages and have Acts 16, if you would, please. Acts 16. Philippians 1 and Acts 16. Somebody sent me a little funny this past week. I think this will put a smile on your face. There was a brand new preacher in town. Had never preached a funeral before, but he had taken his first church. And the local funeral home called him. And ask him if he would come do a graveside service for a fella that apparently had no family. The State Department had gotten involved in trying to get a service together for this family or the state. And so he agreed to it. But of course the funeral or the uh, a grave uh, uh, site was some 30 minutes away. He was new to the area. Didn't know where he was going and he got lost. So uh, nothing like being late for a funeral. Uh, especially if you're doing the one, one doing it. But he drives and drives, and eventually he gets there some 30 minutes late. And he notices, much to his disappointment, that there seems to be nobody else around. However, the grave is still open. They've lowered the casket. The vault is there. They've closed the vault. Uh, and he thought to himself, well, the gate, grave is still open. Uh, looks over to the side. There seems to be the grave people ready to fill it up. He thought, maybe they're waiting on me. So he goes up to the edge there and looks down, sure enough, sees the vault, and he opens up his Bible, and he just lets her rip for 35 minutes. Nobody there but him, and boy, he just preaches up a storm for 35 minutes. Closes his Bible, goes over and shakes the hands of the fellows waiting for him to finish, and gets in his car and goes home. One of the fellows looks to the other one and says, I've been doing this for eight years, but that's the biggest sermon I've ever seen on somebody who's trying to install a septic tank. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1, please, tonight. Philippians chapter 1. I think most of you know this. I always... Uh, and, and messages like I'm about to preach tonight, I'd like to give you a little bit of history, a little bit of context. Context matters. It's important. And we're going to look at Acts just a little bit to give you some of the context for what we'll look at tonight. You understand that the book of Philippians is written by Paul. He is actually, uh, scholars believe, languishing for four years in prison in Rome, waiting for the emperor Nero, who will make a final decision about his case. And from that Roman prison, Paul writes this letter to this church that he loves with all of his heart. I've said to you so many times, the Philippian church was so good to Paul. It was a, a church that, that Paul held dear to his heart. And I want to back up for just a moment uh, as we look at this and remind you why and how this Philippian church came to fruition, came to being. Let's read uh, beginning in chapter 1. Look at verse number 3, if we could. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making request with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart, notice the next clause, in as much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And I love this last clause here. Ye are partakers of my grace. Now put your bookmarker there because we're going to reference back to this passage often. In fact, most of the message. But I want to flip over to the book of Acts for just a moment and give you a quick little history lesson and a reminder about how this Philippian church even comes into existence. How it even becomes a, a church. Philippians chapter 16, excuse me, Acts chapter 16, excuse me. Paul's desire had been on this what would become his second missionary journey. 
His desire was to go and retrace the steps of the churches he planted on his first missionary journey. But you know the story, most of you do, I'm sure. In fact, it's plainly described for us uh, uh, in chapter 16 uh, uh, that Paul receives what we refer to as the Macedonian call. In fact, if you look at chapter 16, verse number uh, verse number 8, and they passing by Mycenae came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So instead of retracing the steps of his first missionary journey, Paul, having found Timothy and bringing with him Silas now on this second missionary journey, goes into what we know of today as modern-day Europe, makes uh, contact, if you will, with these European Gentiles. And in fact, uh, when we continue reading at verse number 12, the Bible says, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia. The word chief city just means capital city. We call it Europe. They refer to that region as Macedonia. The capital city is, of course, uh, Philippi. And so this becomes a brand new journey, if you will, for Paul and those that were accompanying him. We, un we know the stories that come next. I'll quickly recite them for you. From there, Paul meets a young woman by the name of Lydia, who is a seller of purple. And as far as we know, she becomes the first European convert, the first believer in Jesus Christ from Macedonia. Paul and Silas go on, and they meet uh, a, a young girl in verse number 16. We won't read them, but in verses 16 through 18, they meet a young girl who's possessed with a spirit of divinations, possessed with a demon. Through the power of God, they cast out the demon. The girl becomes a brand new creature in Christ. And consequently, Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. You know the story of what comes next. At midnight, Paul and Silas are singing and praising the Lord. And the jail cell begins to uh, fall apart. Uh, and, and, and Paul and Silas are freed. And we know the story of the Philippian jailer who, who comes to know the Lord. And then they go to the house uh, of the Philippian jailer. And the Philippian jailer's family comes to know the Lord. It is that Philippi that so remained so very close to Paul uh, and held such a close affinity in Paul's heart. This was a church uh, that was solid doctrinally. It was a church that supported Paul reverently for all of his missionary journeys. And interestingly, don't turn now, but if you look in the book of Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and you see the seven churches of Asia Minor, the sixth of them is the church at Philadelphia, and it's the only one against which nothing bad is said. For all those other seven churches, uh, Sardis and Thyatira and Ephesus and, uh, and Laodicea, the Lord's got several bad things to say. But against the church at Philippi, he has nothing but positives to say. Uh, so we know that at least through the era of John, uh, A.D. 90, uh, that this church at Philippi remained a solid, godly church. What does all of this matter? Well, I want to remind you that Paul is in jail. We read that in the verses we just saw in Philippi, or Philippians uh, where he even talks about his bonds. But as Paul is praying, he bows his head and he begins to pray for this church at Philippi. Several years now have passed. Paul has finished that second missionary journey. And at the end of his third missionary journey, he gets taken prisoner to Rome and there languishes. Of course, he continues to preach. And, and you read about that in First and Second Timothy. And understandably, Paul's heart is full for those churches that he started. So he sends this letter now to the church at Philippi, not as a young preacher, but as an aged statesman who knows that his days are soon over. Think with me now. 
Paul is writing this letter not as a young missionary to revive this church, but as a senior statesman who knows uh, that his hours uh, are soon coming to an end and his death is nigh. And I challenge you to read that book of Philippians and you will not find one word where Paul complains about his situation. In fact, uh, it is in this book of Philippians that we read, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's in this book of Philippians uh, that we read about the Christian's mindset and the Christian's character. But tonight, what I want us to focus on is simply the way Paul prays for this Philippian church. In fact, it's, it's not uh, a surprise to us uh, that when he begins to write this letter, he writes it by saying, I'm going to paraphrase this into our language. He writes it by saying, I pray for y'all all the time. I pray for you regularly, and I pray for you often. Now, you've heard me as your pastor say to you often, often. In fact, just a few weeks ago, we talked about, we have a Sunday morning message, shouting hallelujah message about the power of church prayer and how collective church prayer uh, will rattle the very cages of heaven itself. But I want to submit to you tonight that when you're in your private prayer, when you're in the times where you are talking to the Lord by yourself, your church is one of those things that you need to pray for often and regularly. Your church needs prayer. And I'm going to show you tonight through how Paul prays for the Philippian church, how that can become a model, if you will, of how you pray and I pray for a Stanley Town's Amazing Grace Baptist Church. Let me pause a second and say, when I talk about praying for the church, there's two ways to think about this. There's the church as a whole. And by that I mean every church and every born-again child of God that names the name of Christ, part of the bride of Christ, that collectively is the church. But what I'm referencing tonight is a local body of believers, a group of family members, if you will, who come together weekly and pray with one another, worship together, and fight the battles of the world together. That local assembly of believers needs prayer. So we're going to look tonight at how to pray for your church. I'm not talking about how to pray for your pastor. I'm not talking about how to pray for the church leaders. They need prayer as well. As your pastor, I surely need prayer. But I'm talking specifically tonight about how do we pray for our church. Three things that we'll look at simply tonight. Number one, I want you to note with me that it's always smart to start out expressing praise for your church expressing praise for your church. Look at verse number three, if you would. Go back to Philippians. Back to Philippians chapter one. And I'll remind you, while you're flipping there, that this model of starting out with praise is the very same thing that the Lord Jesus Christ does in the model prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. A better name, I think, is the model prayer. When he starts out praying, he says, Our Father which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, exalting him, praising him. And I've submitted to you in, in teaching and preaching on prayer uh, that when you start praying, one of the best things you can do is praise God for answered prayer before you go answering for something else. The same principle applies here, folks. You'll notice that Paul says in chapter 1, verse number 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You understand that Paul is, I think in his mind, not thinking just about that church collectively. That's certainly part of it. But I think he's thinking about all of those things that he went through there in Philippi. Maybe he's thinking about Lydia. Maybe he's thinking about that young girl that was possessed with the spirit of divination. Maybe he's thinking about that Philippian jailer. Maybe he's thinking about the family of that Philippian jailer uh, and how though he and Silas were beaten uh, and cast in prison, uh, the, think with me now, the same one that beat him in the daytime uh, got saved in the nighttime. So Paul, uh, when he starts out uh, talking about this church and thinking about this church, uh, he starts out by praising God for that church. I want to say to you tonight, and you've heard me say this a thousand times. You stay here, you'll hear me say it a thousand more. One of the things that really worries me is we take for granted how good God is to SAGBC. 
I don't need to tell you this. You get it. You understand it. But God's mighty good to this body of believers, folks. He's been mighty good to us. He's been mighty gracious to us. He's blessed us far and above that we ever deserve. And it does us well to start off when we're praying for our church, just thanking him for how good he's been to our church. I want to remind you tonight, folks, that as Paul sits there in Herod's prison, as he, excuse me, sits there in Romans' prison, as he is reminded, his heart is filled with praise about the good people that are there at the church of Philippi. I remember when I thank God for church, collectively and individually, I can't help but think of the precious little Sunday school teacher uh, who led me to the Lord, who is a seven-year-old boy at Wayside Baptist Church, the Sunday school teacher uh, who took time enough out of her day uh, to study and prepare a lesson uh, and teach me uh, about the things of God and how as a seven-year-old boy uh, I knelt because of a Sunday school teacher uh, who led me to the Lord. I think about those who worshipped with me after I got saved. I, I remember my professors at Bible college who taught me the things of God. I remember church members. I think about church members now uh, who I know pray for me. Uh, I remember people uh, who've been so good to me and to my family. I remember people uh, who have given me some right words of encouragement often when we needed it the most. And I see across this room tonight folks who've been a blessing to me and to my family, uh, some for a few years, some for many years, some we're just getting to know, uh, and I submit to you that it is all good. There's a running joke at college there where I work uh, because I have this tendency, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through or what trial we come across, I'll always say, it's all good. It's all good. We're going to be all right. It's all good. But the reality is, uh, when you know the Lord, it is all good. Expressing praise for your church. Then when we get to verse 4, Paul's expressions of praise become very pointed expressions of prayer. Look at verse 4, and let's read a few verses quickly. Notice, he says, Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making request with joy. Let me pause a moment and say that undoubtedly that church had some collective needs. I don't know what they were. Paul doesn't describe them. But I do believe that the manner of which style in which he wrote this leads us to believe uh, that some of the things that were the needs of the church had been brought to Paul's attention, and those are the things about which he prays. He prays for the people, the needs in verse 4 at Philippi. Verse 5, he says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Again, I'll remind you that the church of Philippi undoubtedly was started by Lydia, and most scholars believe it probably began in her home, if not the Philippian jailer's home, and spread from there. And perhaps Paul is thinking about the individual needs of those people that were in the church itself. I know it's become trite and old-fashioned on Wednesday nights for many churches to express prayer requests or any other time. But I submit to you, if we don't pause a few moments and just share prayer requests, how in the world will we ever bear one another's burdens? I've been told, oh, preacher, that takes up time. You're, you're killing time by doing that. I can think of no better thing to do on a prayer night Wednesday night than to pray for one another. I want to say to you tonight that we ought to pray for our church in collective ways. What do I mean? I'm speaking collectively now as a corporate entity. We ought to pray that God would continue to save the lost. Thank God he's still saving souls and thank God there are still people walking the aisle at SAGBC. We ought to pray that God would strengthen us. Pray that God's people will be motivated to do even more. Uh, pray that God will grow our church. Uh, pray that God will keep us closer and draw us closer to one another. Moreover, draw us closer to Him. But I also want you to know that there are undoubtedly individual needs in our church. We do it in my Sunday school class, my Bible study Sunday school class. We open up every Sunday. This is just what I like to do. Sharing burdens. Sometimes it takes a few minutes. Sometimes it takes uh, more than a few minutes. But that's the only way we know how to share burdens is to share burdens. And of course, we do it on Wednesday nights as well. 
Sometimes it takes a few minutes. Sometimes it takes a lot of a few minutes. Uh, but it's essential uh, that we bear one another's burdens and share one another's burdens. So let me ask you tonight. Let's get down to where we can all understand it. Are there folks in our church who used to be faithful that aren't anymore? We ought to pray for them. Bet. Best way to talk about them is to pray for them. That's the only way we ought to be talking about them. Is there someone who's got a financial need in their life? We need to be praying for them. Those in our congregation who are sick, uh, we need to be praying for them. Those who are shut in, uh, and you're going to hear some things next week that we're doing specifically for our shut-ins. Uh, we need to be praying for them. Uh, those who are widowed, we need to be praying for them. Uh, those who are hurting, we need to be praying for them. Uh, those who are grieving, we need to be praying for them. Uh, and those who are carrying burdens, uh, and let's be honest, that's most of us, we need to be praying for them. We express praise for the church. Let me ask you tonight, you're thankful for your church? Say amen and pray for them. Secondly, not only do you express praise, but you express very specific prayers corporately and individually. I understand that you probably can't name every request that's mentioned on a Wednesday night. You can, if you're in my Sunday school class, name every request that's mentioned on a, uh, a Sunday morning. But I guarantee you, you can remember a few of them. I guarantee you there are some that will stand out. Uh, and I submit to you tonight, uh, just as it always has, prayer still rattles the cages of heaven. Scripture is replete with examples uh, where prayer has changed the heart of God. Uh, and subsequently, uh, things are turned upside down because of the power of God's people praying. Expressing praise, expressing prayer. Then I hope you'll say amen to this one. Expressing passion for our church. Passion. Go back to verse number 7. Please, go back to verse number 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all. Why? Because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. You continue to read this book, at Philippi, uh, this book of Philippians, and you will find that over and over, whatever Paul was facing, that church of Philippi went with him. I don't mean physically, they weren't able to, but financially and emotionally, and in their prayer life, whatever Paul was facing, this church was right there with him. Interestingly, you read about this, uh, and this church that was a missionary church, Paul formed it as a missions church. Uh, they supported Paul uh, to do the work at other churches. Think about that for a second. This Philippian church that was formed out of missions desire and mission work uh, would give Paul money uh, to go out and do the work of a missionary at other churches. And Paul had a passion for this church. I want to pause just a moment and say to you the second thing, and now you've heard me say it a bunch, but the second thing that really worries me at times is that we will forget uh, that every church out there ain't got what we got. We'll take for granted uh, how good it is, not just that God's been to our church, uh, but how good it is to be in our church. What do I mean by that? Let me give you some very concrete examples, things that I think you'll understand. You see, Jesus makes it very plain that we are not defined by anything other than the love we have for one another. Let me give it to you differently. We are not defined by the size of our building. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I had the pleasure of going into a very large church. Uh, uh, in fact, I don't mind telling you, Faith Memorial right there as you go into Danville. Wonderful pastor. Had the privilege of going in, chatting with that pastor. And he let me tour the building there with him. I had been drooling over it for a couple of years now. Every time I passed by, uh, my, 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 my steering wheel would just kind of steer to the left. And I'm thinking, mm, don't that look pretty? 
And I got to walk through that church, and I was ooing and aahing over it and telling the pastor how beautiful it was and how spectacular it was, and my heart was just palpitating. And I'll never forget, he he paused a moment, and he took my arm, and he says, Preacher, I appreciate your kind words, uh, but we don't ever want to forget that the church is not the building. It's the people in the building. Amen. It was a, but he did have the same chandeliers we got. Amen. We're not defined by the beauty of our building. We're not defined by the size of our building. We're not defined by the size of our budget. We got old carpet. We got old pews. We're working on it. We've, if I were to stand up here tonight and tell you all the things that we've done since we've merged, uh, in fact, we have spent countless dollars, thankfully, that you've turned into our offering plate uh, so that we can continue to beautify this church. And Man, we got a long list of things we're trying to do, uh, but I don't ever want to forget that church is not the building, but it's the people in the building. We're not defined The quality of our singing, thank God, the choir is incredible. But we're not defined by that. We are defined by one thing and one thing only. And Jesus describes it. John 13, verse 35, he says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. So I submit to you tonight that when people think about Church, they don't need to be thinking about the building, but the love we have for one another in the building. In fact, I want you to, I'm nearly done. I want you to flip over a few more pages. Turn to 1 John quickly. Turn to 1 John quickly tonight, chapter 2. 1 John 2. Really powerful reminders here. 1 John 2. Look at verse number 7. First John chapter 2. In fact, let's, let's go back to verse chapter 1. We'll look at chapter 2 also, but look at chapter 1 for just a second. Look at verse number 7. If we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We could stop right now and shout for about an hour. Now keep reading. Go down to verse number 7 of chapter 2. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past, the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Well, keep reading. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness has blinded his eyes. If I'm reading this correctly, and I believe I am, then John, the last of the New Testament writers, is making it very clear for all of us uh, that it's the people in the church, uh, and if we're really saved, really in love with God, uh, then we're in love with the people who are in the church. Now say amen, because everybody, you know what I'm about to say, you can love somebody even if you don't like them. How do I know that? Because I'm a parent. Amen. Amen. Every parent in the building, you know you can love him, kids, even on days when you want to drop kick them to Jerusalem. Say amen. Amen. Preach on. I'm getting, a, getting some amens from people I never hear from. Quickly, a few more verses. We're done. Jump down to verse 20. I know we're reading a lot, but I think you understand why. Verse 20. Notice what it says. First John uh, chapter 4. Excuse me. Flip chapter 4, verse 20. Excuse me. Chapter 4, verse 20. If any man say, chapter 4, verse 20, if any man say, I love God and hateth his brother, 
Look at those next four words. He is a liar. Now, if a preacher stands up and says that, he's going to get something thrown at him. But you understand that's coming from the book. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he, whom he, he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? This commandment hath we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. What does this mean, folks? I'm going to kind of wrap this up in a bow tonight and we're done. I've said to you on many occasions, and I like saying, I don't know how people make it without church. I don't know how people make it without the Lord. I don't know how people make it without a church family. But you understand tonight, that means that we need to pray for our church. We need to praise God for our church. We need to pray for our church, and we need to have passion about our church. When, 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 when my wife and her brother get into an argument. I'm an only child. Mom and daddy got it right the first time. Say amen right there. Amen. But when my wife and her brother get into an argument, it is one of the most frightening things you can imagine. I mean, they can go at each other like nobody I've ever seen. But let somebody else talk about them. And then it's on like Donkey Kong. Amen. Can I pause a moment? That ought to be us as well. We might have some internal disagreements. We might not always get along. But, honey, if somebody else starts talking about the church, I, I believe it's in God's will for the claws to come out. In Jesus' name, amen. We need passion for our church. Praise for our church. And would you join me? Let's pray for our church. Let's stand together tonight. Just a simple, simple thought tonight, but so profoundly important. God, give us a passion and a love for our church and for the people in it. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Just stay there, Brother Ken, if you would. Ladies, I want you to just start playing for me. And if you're physically able and can, I want you to come join us at the altar tonight. Now, if you're uncomfortable and you choose not to, that's fine. But if you're physically able and would like to join us here at the altar, join me tonight. Let's just pray together for our church, the people in it. The leadership of it, those that are working so diligently for the continuation of it, 2018 set to be mighty things for our church, so let's pray together. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to just open up this precious word of God and be reminded about the importance of a church. Lord, I thank you for this group of believers that is so supportive of this ministry. Lord, uh, it is so precious on Sundays to see the place packed out on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights to see folks come back hungry for the Word of God. Lord, on Wednesday nights to see folks come out for Bible study and prayer request time. And Lord, to see our WANA program continuing to expand. But Lord, we understand that those things are not what matter. It is the love that we have for one another that matters in this church. Lord, there's a lot of folks, as you know, who are suffering. Lord, suffering... Uh, for loved ones, suffering for sickness, suffering for all sorts of divers' problems and issues. Lord, we pray for every one of them tonight. Lord, we're a family, so we pray for our family. Lord, I pray for the leadership of this church that stands with us, stands beside of us uh, as we lead this congregation of believers. They're so supportive and following the biblical dictates of a, de of a deacon as God described in the book of Acts. Lord, we thank you for their support. Lord, I thank you for those uh, who, who work here on the platform week in and week out to make this service uh, and the worship experience what you'd have it to be. But most of all, I thank you for the people, Lord, who make up the pews, those who come in week in and week out, hungry for the things of God, ready to worship, and Lord, not afraid to worship uh, in all senses of the word. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this group of believers. Lord, as we said this morning, may we behave ourselves wisely and have a reputation in this community as a church that is sold out for the things of God. Lord, it's good to be in your house today. Lord, I pray for, for all of those who could not be here tonight. And Lord, if we named them all, we'd be here for an hour just naming names of those who are sick. 
ones who always come out couldn't be here tonight. Bless them. Lord, bless us as we come back on Wednesday night. Lord, I pray especially now in this moment that you'd bless the Ratliff family as they're gathered around their loved one. Lord, I pray for the Foley family and the death of their loved one, that you'd be there in ever-present help in a time of need. Lord, we love you. Most of all, we thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed tonight. Thank you for being here on this Sunday evening. Fellowship with each other this evening.